Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. On the night of February 13th, 1021, the 6th Fatimid Caliph and 16th Imam of the Ismaili Shia Muslims, Al-Hakim bi Amrullah, left his home in the capital city Cairo. He alone ventured to the city gates and then went outside, maybe to take a walk, maybe to meditate, we don't exactly know. What we do know is that Al-Hakim never returned home that night, but disappeared from history, never again to be found. The figure of Al-Hakim bi Amrullah, already a central figure to the Ismaili Shiites, would hold an even more prominent position in the religion of the Jews. The Jews are a fascinating religious minority in the Middle East that are, is very sort of isolated and secretive. Um, they are situated primarily in the region known as the Levant in modern countries like Lebanon and Syria. Um, and there are many questions surrounding the Jews, like are they Muslim, are they not Muslim? And people answer these questions very differently, uh, both within and outside the group itself. What is clear is that they originate in Islam and specifically in Ismailism. Ismailism, or the Ismailis, are a branch, a sub-branch of the larger sort of denomination of Shia Muslims. The Shia generally follow the Imams, or descendants of the Prophet Muhammad through his daughter Fatima, who are both worldly and spiritual leaders um, in a line of succession, beginning with Fatima and Ali. Uh, the Ismailis branched off from the other larger branch called the Ithna Ashari, or Twelver group, uh, over who should succeed the fifth or sixth Imam, Jafar al-Sadiq. Those who favored his older son, Ismail ibn Jafar, became known as the Ismailis. Uh, and a couple of centuries later, the Ismailis had managed to form uh, the Fatimid Empire, which at the, sort of at the height of its power ruled much of North Africa from Egypt and also parts of the Arabian Peninsula. Now what's very interesting about the Fatimids is that the caliphs of the Fatimid dynasty were also 
the imams of the Ismaili community, so they served a kind of double function in that regard. And this brings us back to the Caliph al-Hakim bi Amrullah, who, as I said, was the sixth Caliph of the Fatimid dynasty and the 16th Imam of the Ismaili Shiites. And so he was a very important person when he was alive as the ruler of an empire and also as the spiritual pole and highest authority to the Ismaili community. Already before his mysterious disappearance, he was highly revered by his Ismaili followers but particularly by a certain group of people who viewed him as a bit more than just a regular imam. Uh, there had been tendencies within Shi'ism to apply certain divine or non-human qualities to the imam, but these particular followers of al-Hakim began to see him as an actual manifestation of God on earth, and as the awaited al-Mahdi, who was a kind of messiah-like figure, very common particularly in Shia Islam. These ideas have their earliest evidence in two Ismaili, or proto-Jews, missionaries, or also known as Dai, associated with al-Hakim, whose names are Muhammad al-Darazi and Hamza ibn Ali ibn Ahmad al-Zuzani, who seems to have held this idea while Hakim was still alive. But the relationship between these two and their doctrines is a disputed issue. Some claim that Darazi actually held more extreme views that al-Hakim was divine and that Hamza didn't and that then... Uh, Darazi was executed for this. So by some Jews and, and others, Darazi is viewed actually as a heretic even within the faith and Hamza as the actual founder. And what these people actually believed isn't all that clear. Some believe that they saw Al-Hakim as actually divine or a divine manifestation at least. Others say that Hamza at the very least did not view it in that way. But these things are very unclear and we don't know exactly what actually happened at that point. It's not clear whether this was a radical break with Ismaili tradition or simply as a continuation of already established doctrine. That is, if these people consider themselves to be creating a new religion or just extending the already existing Ismaili faith. In my opinion, the later is probably the truth, as the ideas, or many of the ideas expressed in the Jewish faith, are also, at least in some form, present in Shia Islam, and particularly in, in Ismailism. But others have competing ideas about this as well. For example, the scholar David Breyer writes, quote, The exaggeration of the importance of the imam, the stressing of his non-human qualities, and the idea that a new era was beginning were nothing new in Ismaili history, though it remained for Hamza to forge them into an entirely new religion. This new era that he mentions is related to the conceived role of Hakim as al-Mahdi, the messianic figure. So the period of his rule is seen as a turning point in history and a final victory for the doctrine of God's oneness, Tawheed, after which a new era is instigated. However, as we talked about in the intro, al-Hakim suddenly vanished one night in 1021. This played pretty well into established Shia theology as he was then considered to have gone into occultation, or hiding, as he will return at the end of time. And this is a very common theme in Shi'ism, and one that is held by many group of Shiites, including the largest Twelver group, who all believe that different Imams are the Mahdi who have gone into occultation and will return. Hakim's successor on the Fatimid throne and the Ismaili Imamate, a guy called Ali al-Zahir, was very different from his father. In fact, he reversed many of the ideas and innovations that Hakim had put in place and completely rejected the group that saw Hakim as a manifestation of God. In other words, the group that we call the Jews today. 
Here begins a period of great persecution and oppression of this group by the Fatimid caliphs, which would lead to them being more and more distinguished from the larger Ismaili community as its own new movement. And this persecution forced many of the, what we call Jews, into other regions like the Levant, and would also very much affect the theology and worldview that the Jews would hold or develop. Indeed, many argue that this is one of the reasons that in the year 1043, that is 22 years after Hakim's death, uh, missionary work officially ended for the Jewish faith, and after this no converts were ever allowed into the religion. Thus, from this moment on, the Jews were confined to the families and the insiders at that point, and so things like marriage outside the faith has been strictly forbidden ever since. Since the Jews are a rather isolated group and much of their teachings are kept secret, we don't really know that much about their beliefs or teachings, and not much scholarly work has been done on it at all. As they stem originally out of Ismaili Islam, they are essentially a monotheistic religion and have a strong emphasis on God's oneness, also known as Tawheed in Arabic. In fact, they have often referred to themselves as the Mawahidun, which means those who profess monotheism or those who profess oneness. Their view of God is one completely beyond attributes, even essential ones like wisdom and knowledge, as they are seen to be part of his essence, and this is similar to other theological schools within Islam, like the Mu'atazila or the Ismailis for that matter. They focus a lot on mysteries and esoteric teachings and esoteric readings of sacred scriptures like the Quran, which is known as Tawil, and to exert the hidden meanings of scripture, which is known as Batin, through this process of Tawil. Over the years, the Jews' beliefs have, of course, changed and developed, most probably, um, and have taken influence and inspiration from many different sources. Um, the Ismailis in the Middle Ages were highly influenced by the philosophical school Neoplatonism, and so we can see in the Jews' faith that this sort of carries over here as well. This means that they have a view of God and creation where the divine emanates in stages, like a fountain where the level above overflows into the one below. God himself transcends this scheme, but the first part of this emanation or fountain is called the universal intellect, and after this there is the universal soul, followed by the word or kalima, which then emanates into the preceder, as-sabiq, and finally the succeeder, at-tali. Importantly, while Al-Hakim is seen as a manifestation of God, this should not be confused with them viewing him as an incarnation of God. These are very different concepts. The, the Jews don't view Hakim in the same way that Christians view Jesus, for example, or Hindus view Krishna or Rama. It's a, kind of, it's a different uh, perspective, it's a different uh, theological standpoint. They also believe in the transmigration of the soul or reincarnation after death, and this has led some to argue that the Jews have been influenced by religions outside the Middle East, like Hinduism. Uh, but, in my opinion, this could also be a direct influence from Ismaili Muslim currents. For example, the secretive Ismaili group called the Ikhwan As-Safa, the Brethren of Purity, also believed in a kind of reincarnation of the soul. Important aspects of this reincarnation teaching of the Jews are that a Jews person who dies is always reborn as a Jews. And so this community is kept intact, even after death, as it were. So while the teachings of the Jews are obscure and difficult to pin down, some scholars have put together certain important themes. H. Z. Hirschberg and others summarize it through seven articles of faith. 
One, veracity in speech and the truthfulness of the tongue. Protection and mutual aid to the brethren in faith. Renunciation of all forms of former worship and false belief. Repudiation of the devil and all forces of evil. Confession of God's unity. Acquiescence in God's acts, no matter what they be. Absolute submission and resignation to God's divine will in both secret and public. Now, there are different variants of this list, these articles of faith and different translations and so on, but these are the sort of general uh, articles of faith that the Jews are often said to have. Similar to Muslims, the Jews are encouraged not to drink alcohol or eat any pork. Most of these teachings, obscure and secretive as they may be, stem from canonical sacred texts that the Jews use as their source. These texts are collectively known as Risail al-Hikmah, or the Epistles of Wisdom, of which there are 111 collected into six volumes, and probably written sometime in the 13th century. These texts have certainly not been allowed to be accessed by outsiders of this religion. Uh, it's only in the last century or so that academics and researchers have been allowed to access some of these texts, but not even all Jews have been allowed to access these texts historically. The Jewish community have, for many periods of history, been divided into those who are considered initiated or wise, known as uqal, and those who are uninitiated or ignorant, juhal. Only those in the initiated group have been allowed to access these sacred texts, possibly an attempt to keep the teachings from being altered or spread outside of the Jewish community. Other religious texts are also important to the Jews, like the Quran, or even the Bible, which they see as to have sort of conveyed the true teachings of monotheism, but that people have later misinterpreted and corrupted these texts. An interesting example of this is that the opening chapter of the Quran, known as Al-Fatiha, is recited by the Imams at Jewish weddings. The Jews' house of prayer is called a Khalwa, and is usually located in the outskirts of Jewish villages. And here a kind of weekly or regular service is usually held on Thursday evenings or Thursday nights, which is attended only by those in the initiated group, the Uqal. These buildings are also sometimes used for more community, political or social events at large. Another common practice of the Jews is to make a pilgrimage to the grave of a prophet or an important holy figure. Uh, this is known as a ziyara, much like in Sufism, for example. And one of the most important or most common of these ziyaras or pilgrimages is performed to the grave of the prophet Shu'aib, who is thought to be located in Israel. A holy site like this is called a maqam, which literally means station, and is visited to receive blessings or even things like health or to cure certain illnesses. Much like in other religions, there are also certain holidays or a celebration or events connected to certain important life events like marriage or funerals. Perhaps the most important festival of the year is called Eid al-Adha, not to be confused with the Muslim holiday of the same name. It is preceded by a 10-day period of sort of regret and contemplation, followed by a sacrificial day of festivities, community and often charity. The Jews started around the rule of Al-Hakim in Egypt, but have historically been located primarily in the region known as the Levant, in countries like Syria, Lebanon, Jordan, and Israel. 
the relationship between them and the, for the most part, ruling Sunni elite haven't always been that great. There have always been a discussion or debate amongst these Muslim scholars on how the Jews should be conceived or viewed, some viewing them as a very extreme form of Shia Islam, while others see them as apostates and heretics altogether. Needless to say, there have been periods of great persecution, oppression and unrest within the Jewish community and in their relationship between or with other groups in the region. For example, the famous Hanbali scholar Ibn Taymiyyah, often a hero to modern fundamentalist groups, issued a rather nasty fatwa in the 14th century where he calls for armed jihad against the group and states that, quote, they are heretics and apostates whose repentance cannot be accepted, rather they should be killed wherever they are found and they may be cursed because of what they are. But it's very important to remember that this is of course the most extreme case and that many Muslim scholars historically and today have favored a more liberal approach and emphasized peaceful coexistence. There have been periods during the Ottoman Empire, for example, when the Jews were allowed autonomy and even protection by the Ottoman Sultan. In the last century, with the appearance of ideologies like nationalism, pan-Arabism or pan-Islamism, aspects of the Jewish religion have been reconceptualized and some have emphasized their similarity to Islam and ethnicity as Arabs. But also with the many periods of unrest in the region today, this has led to increased persecution. The war in Syria, for example, and the unrest related to it has led to the Jews, among many other religious minorities, being targeted by fundamentalist groups like the Islamic State, who are often inspired by Ibn Taymiyyah and his fatwa that I quoted. But the Jews still remain a pretty strong and significant community, an estimate shows that there may be around one million Jews in the world today. What we should remember, however, is that the Jews are a complex religious community that has a very long and fascinating history. We know surprisingly little about them and their teachings and practices, much because of their secrecy and historical isolation. And so much of what I have said in this video is very much open for discussion and can be sort of countered by other arguments. For example, many scholars previously have focused on the ethnicity or race of the Jews, trying to make the Jews an ethno-religious community like the Yazidis, for example. But most scholars today agree that the Jews are eth both ethnically and culturally very diverse. And so these questions of race and ethnicity, scholars don't think that, that those aspects should be emphasized as much. In any case, there's a lot more we could discuss, but I will leave it here for now and hope this was a good and interesting short introduction. I'll see you next time. When we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/style for free shipping and 365-day returns.